the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. You've been following the impeachment hearings out of Washington, D.C., and we know you, you've got thoughts. What are your biggest takeaways from the public inquiry so far? Meanwhile, the president of the UAW, Gary Jones, has resigned amid a corruption probe. What does this mean for the union? We'll take your calls and comments on Detroit Today right after the news. Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Jake Neer in for Stephen Henderson. Before we get started today, I just want to say thank you so much to everyone who came out and joined us for our debate watch party at Hopcat Detroit this past Wednesday. It was so well attended. I was so happy to see so many of you come out and watch the debate with us. I got to say, maybe a little bit surprised that so many people were so excited to watch this debate. It's about the 500th debate we've seen so far, but it was a great conversation beforehand. We had trivia. We even played pin the tail on the donkey of all things, and we were just so happy to see all of you. So thank you again for doing that, especially uh, while we are off the air. We have been off the air this year for the impeachment hearings. And speaking of which, the Detroit Today team, we've spent the last couple of days, again, off the air and listening to the impeachment hearings in Washington, D.C. with the rest of the country. Having heard from so many of you during our debate watch party on Wednesday night, it was clear that many of you are eager to share your thoughts about the proceedings, the crimes President Trump and members of his circle are accused of, and what happens next. So we're going to spend much of the show today hearing from you. What are your big takeaways from the hearings so far? And were you surprised at all by this week's testimony, especially from U.S. Ambassador to the European Union, Gordon Sondland, on Wednesday? I also want to know, have the proceedings in any way changed your mind? And we really want to hear from you today. Of course, the number on the phones, as always, is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and leave a comment there. And to help us sort of get started here today and talk about this and also what's happening with the UAW a little bit later, we have David Shepardson, reporter for Reuters based in Washington, D.C. He's also former Detroit News congressional reporter. David Shepardson, welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, thanks for having me, Jake. So, uh, you know, you're in Washington right now. I know that this is not uh, that you've been watching along with the rest of us. You've been in Washington for a long time. You know how Congress works. I'm curious what you think of the mood in Washington right now, especially among Republicans. Have has uh, their demeanor changed in any way over the course of this past week? You know, surprisingly not. You have to say the president has done a pretty remarkable job of keeping the party together. I mean, yesterday, some of the House Republicans that you could see as potentially supporting impeachment, like retiring Congressman Will Hurd from Texas, a very relatively moderate district, he said he has not seen anything serious enough to warrant impeachment. So I do think as time's gone on, the Republicans have shifted their defense from there's nothing here, there's no quid pro quo, there's no impropriety to there's nothing worthy of impeachment. And so far, you know, a lot of those moderates, you haven't seen any of them you know, jump sides and say, yes, we're leaning toward supporting impeachment. I just wonder uh, your thoughts on what it would take at this point that, you know, it seems like the underlying facts of the case um, have not really been much in dispute. A lot of it is more about creating another narrative about what happened and putting it in a different context for Republicans. But the question of whether uh, the president uh, really uh, had the the people around him that were in Ukraine, the the diplomats were, um, you know, felt like there was a quid pro quo. If you listen to the test, it's hard to dispute uh, what the understanding was there. Um, and so the question I think that I have is, at, at this point, 
Is there anything uh, that the president could have done or is there anything that could come out in these hearings that would shift opinions among Republicans that would see, a, you know, a, a significant number of them come out and say, look, you know, this is this has gone farther so far enough. We are uh, willing to come out and make that walk from Capitol Hill to the White House and ask uh, the president to to either resign or move forward with these impeachment proceedings. Well, you, you raise a good question, which is what do the Democrats do next, right? I mean, so far, they have resisted the idea of delaying the further hearings to get some of those witnesses that had more, you know, closer to the president's inner circle, like Giuliani, like poor Mayor Giuliani or John Bolton or, you know, the chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, and, and you know, trying to force them to testify. And the question is, were they able to get some of those witnesses? Would that, would that change Republicans' views? I think right now they're saying, hey, we're satisfied with the advice we have. We don't want to drag uh, with the witnesses we have. We don't want to drag this out. Let's, you know, let's move quicker toward a resolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. And let's go to Al in Detroit. Al, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Um I had two questions, but I want to stick to the one that your team caller said uh, first, and if you allow me to stick one out, be grateful. Okay, my first one is this. Why did they keep mentioning what Obama did? Obama did, had nothing to do with this. He kept saying, did he get, oh, Obama gave MREs and blankets wherever. Yes. It was, Donald Trump gave javelins. Yes. The, the people need javelins. I'm like, that has nothing to do with it. If Obama had stopped doing what Congress allowed him to do, he'd be on the hook, too, just like Trump is. But for some reason, that became a big thing with every Republican I kept hearing talk about, or talk about during, the, during this year, the congressional hearing, even though they never said nothing about what actually really happened, except for that Johnson guy who kept yelling at everybody for no reason. <laughs> well, Al, I really appreciate that comment, and and I think that that is something that is interesting about the, what Republicans are doing here. If you if you listen to each day and each session that they have, uh, Devin Nunes uh, essentially says the same things, right? David Shepardson, that it's it's right. he's retelling the story over and over, essentially repeating it uh, in a way that puts it again, as I said earlier, in a different context, in a way that is supposed to um, sort of. Uh, drive people's opinions to think about things like what did Obama do, and you know what about the Bidens? What about um, you know all of the the other things that that uh, Republicans are trying to put out in the the spotlight here? So that's an interesting. It is interesting that Obama's name keeps coming up. Well, and just yesterday, Senator Graham, which would resist this before, sent a letter to the State Department asking for any records related to Hunter Biden and his. Uh, his work for a uh, Ukrainian gas company that obviously the Republicans have tried to make a big part of their defense. So I think right from really day one, the Republicans, one of their chief strategies is to try to shift away from what happened in July between Ukraine and President Trump and to broaden the issue to sort of U.S.-Ukrainian policy writ large, dating back to the Obama administration. Mm. Again, number on the phones is 313-577-1019. What moments have stuck with you from the impeachment proceedings? Has anything surprised you? That is a big question. (laughs) This is something where we keep hearing that maybe the outcomes uh, are essentially predetermined here. But for you personally, anything that you've watched during this past two weeks of testimony, what, if anything, has surprised you? And what do you think will happen next? Are the outcomes, again, in both the House and Senate inevitable at this point? Or do you think that we might be in for some sort of surprise heading forward? And also, do you think what the president is accused of uh, is sort of typical behavior for Washington, D.C. That is something that I think uh, maybe some people watching this think, well, maybe this is improper. Maybe this is even an impeachable (laughs) offense. But I'm curious if anyone out there thinks that this is they suspect that this is more prevalent in Washington than maybe we hear about. Again, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. Again, 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. I want to go to Charlie in Royal Oak. Charlie, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, good morning, Jake. Thanks. Um, I guess I would say, if anything, the hearings are kind of solidifying 
you know, my uh, my point of view, I mean, I think this president's definitely got to go. Um, he's a, certainly a one-off in, in the history of our company or country. And uh, I guess, though, my, my question is, is there kind of a strategy behind, um, you know, the hearings? I mean, it seems pretty clear that uh, even if they get it through the House and they send the articles to the Senate, I doubt very much it's going to get through the Senate. So is it just kind of a show to embarrass the president and maybe hopefully, you know, tip the election? Or, you know, my hope is, is there's going to be a lot more that comes out. Maybe it will sway some uh, Republican minds, but I'm not so sure. Mm. You don't sound you don't sound like from your perspective, someone who wants to see an impeachment uh, go forward, Charlie, that uh, you're too confident uh, in that case that that you're what you're hoping for is going to happen. I mean, I think it should go forward, but I am very doubtful of the chances of it actually coming to removing him from office. It may mm-hmm. embarrass him and may cause him to lose some support going into the you know re-election. Um, uh, but I don't think I'm going to see what I hope for, which is someone who has uh, been treasonous and uh, violated his oath of office, I believe, um, and I believe there's ample evidence for it. Um, I don't know that it really matters, given the political, uh, you know, makeup of our Congress. Yeah, Charlie, thank you so much for the call and thanks for the comments. David Shepardson, something that I've been thinking about this, it's in my mind, there's a couple of different ways this could play out politically speaking heading into the 2020 election. Uh, one is this could embolden the president's supporters or it could even uh, help the president with a lot of the things that he's accused of saying, look, if the Senate, uh, you know, uh, in his what I assume his language would be exonerates the president, he can go out and say that he can say, look, this is all been brought up. The Senate has said, I didn't do any of it or it's not impeachable and uh, we need to move on. Democrats are stuck on trying to uh, pin something on me that's not sticking. The other thing that I can see, though, is that if the Senate is going to vote on this, if they're forced to vote, it might put senators in certain states, at least, on the defensive as they head into 2020. I'm curious what your thoughts are about the political, uh, you know, fallout of all this. I, I think you got it exactly right. I mean, there, there's political landmines for everybody in this process. Certainly, the president is going to be very aggressive in trying to d- deter any of those Republicans in tough states like Susan Collins of Maine from, from voting with the Democrats, even though if it becomes clear that he's going to avoid removal from office. But And you're right. I mean, the president's narrative is already now, hey, the Democrats aren't passing the new NAFTA agreement. They're not passing infrastructure. They're not doing all these legislative items. Instead, they're focused on impeachment. So that's going to be a key part of his re-election message. Now, as the caller pointed out, you know, Speaker Pelosi felt a lot like he did for a long time and said, hey, we're not going to, we're not going to bother with impeachment, she said, for basically over a year, because it has no chance of seeing him removed from office. But I think what happened was after the call, which, remember, occurred one day between the president and the Ukrainian leader, which happened one day after uh, the, the independent investigator, Bob Mueller, had testified before Congress, I think there was a feeling among a lot of Democrats that this was a bridge too far, that just for the, for the principle, for the rule of law, they had to move forward with impeachment, even if they, they basically knew there was not much chance of seeing him removed from office to establish the principle, at least in their argument, that this was this was something inappropriate and just something that the Democrats couldn't tolerate. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer in for Stephen Henderson today. We're talking about the impeachment proceedings this past week and the week before. Uh, and we want to get your thoughts on this. What have you been thinking as you've been watching these hearings? Has anything surprised you so far about this? Do you think that anything could surprise you about how this all plays out? The number is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313 313- Five seven seven one zero one nine. We're speaking with David Shepardson, a reporter for Reuters, based in Washington D.C., and the former Detroit News congressional reporter, someone who's been in Washington for quite a while now. Uh, and again, thank you so much for for calling in and uh, expressing your thoughts on this. I want to go to Christine now in Ann Arbor. Christine, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning. Thank you. Yeah, Christine, what would you like to say? Um, nothing really surprised me in terms of the Republicans. I actually watched all the hearings, whether I was at work listening to them on the road, uh, watching on my iPhone. And what really 
surprised me was I, we knew that the Republicans were going to be childish. We knew that they were going to put a spin on this. You knew that they were going to try to distract and they were going to try to bring up Obama. And they did exactly that. But it was surprising that it was so they were so disrespectful, especially to Dr. Hill. And it was amusing to see them take their five minutes and, and just talk and rant and rant and rant and bring up conspiracy theories that she debunked and and not giving her a chance to speak. But I love the way that she uh, asked to speak. Um, mm. They were uh, shameful. You, you make you wonder who voted for these people. These are, are supposed to be representatives and they act like toddlers in the room. Mm, Christine, thank you so much for that. I would, I will say, uh, I think you said that you were watching uh, on your iPhone while you were driving. May I suggest maybe a safer alternative would be to tune, tune into WDET 1019 on the radio and listen to them instead of watching the phone while you're driving. Uh, but no, I, I really appreciate that, te- that comment. And uh, David Shepardson, something I was thinking about with Fiona Hill yesterday, uh, she was, she's a career expert on Russia. She implored Republicans during the hearings to stop pushing what she called a fictitious narrative. Um, and it's interesting. It sort of brings out what I've uh, something that has become apparent as we've been watching these hearings. When Democrats question witnesses here, uh, it, it does feel a little more like a fact-finding process to lay sort of their groundwork for the impeachment proceedings going forward. However, when Republicans question witnesses, it's sort of a completely different proceeding. It's all about Hunter Biden. It's about Burisma. Um, it almost feels, I think, like President Trump is sort of getting from Republicans on this committee what he couldn't get from Vladimir Solinsky, which is a public investigation into the Bidens and their dealings in Ukraine. Look, I, I absolutely agree that, you know, this, this forum and right since this, the transcript became public, right, this, this issue about Hunter Biden has gotten more attention than it would have ever have gotten, even if, you know, Zelensky had said, yes, we're going to investigate. So, but I think, you know, to the caller's point about, you know, some of the members making speeches and being disrespectful, you know, part of that is a function of what's happened to Congress, right? As the, the, the districts have become more gerrymandered, there are fewer and fewer moderates in either party. It now becomes more and more important to be as conservative or as liberal in order to win the, the primaries. And of course, in the Republican primary, you know, President Trump is very, is very crucial, right? And he, Republicans are very nervous about going against him. And that's why you've seen remarkably a couple of examples where Republicans a few months ago raised concerns about uh, the president's conduct. And guess what? The next day they announced they were, they were retiring at the end of the term. You know, Justin Amash yes. in Grand Rapids after he became critical. What did he do? He left the Republican Party. So, mm-hmm. It's become almost impossible for House Republicans, especially, to to challenge President Trump, given just how you know his his overwhelming popularity and power in the Republican Party. So, no, they're not. This is not about the Republicans trying to really knock down the core facts of what the uh, the, the Democrats are arguing about this call, because most of it is is on that transcript or in the whistleblower complaint. It's it's more it's about as you say shifting the narrative, making the argument about something else, or or, or simply trying to broaden the issue. Say it's always okay for you know one country to try to get what they want, which is kind of the argument that Secretary Pompeo keeps making. That hey, this is okay. We, everybody does it all the time. Well, coming up on Detroit Today, we will continue our conversation with David Shepardson of Reuters. We're going to focus a little more on what's going on with the UAW and the auto industry, but we will continue to take your calls on the impeachment proceedings and talk a little bit more about what's going on there and what happens next. Jody in Detroit and uh, Tiger, um, please stay on the lines. Uh, Don't go anywhere. We will get to your calls after this.
You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Jake Neer in for Stephen Henderson. We are talking with David Shepardson, a reporter for Reuters based in Washington, D.C. We're talking about the impeachment proceedings over the last couple of weeks and where we go from here. And now we want to shift a little bit to talk about what's going on with another huge story that's been breaking with some big Michigan implications here. Um, recently, the UAW leader, Gary Jones, resigned. He resigned this week sort of suddenly after after uh, a lot has been coming out in a corruption probe. And David Shepardson, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, what's going on there. What led to Gary Jones resigning this week? Yeah, it was, a, it was a remarkable week in the history of the auto companies and the United Auto Workers. So this began a few years ago when, the, when U.S. prosecutors began investigating whether union funds or funds from this, these union uh, training centers, which are, are jointly operated with the auto companies, have been have been misused. That led to a string of indictments, charges, uh, and most notably the the former head of labor relations at at Fiat Chrysler. And so, to date, thirteen people have been charged. Ten have been have pled guilty or been or have been sentenced. And 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 as a result of this drip, 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 and the increasing efforts to try to get to the top. A few months ago, Gary Jones' house was searched. The government found some undisclosed amount of money. And then he was identified as union official A in another complaint uh, charging another union uh, official. So uh, hours before he resigned, the union took the other unprecedented step of filing union charges against him called Article 30, seeking his removal from the union. And at that moment, he decided enough was enough. And so he, had, he submitted his one sentence rec- uh, resignation after having been on paid leave for the last month. So, and this all played out, remember, just a day before, uh, or the same day, rather, that GM filed a racketeering lawsuit against Fiat Chrysler, arguing that the company had, in essence, bribed UAW leaders during the prior contract round four years ago to give it labor concessions that it did not get at the bargaining table, costing it billions of dollars. So all in all, a uh, a remarkable (laughs) week between the companies and the union. That's saying it very, uh, very lightly, I would say. Uh, I'm curious, Gary Jones' resignation now, it sort of uh, happened quickly and also not so quickly at the same time. But I'm curious, was his resignation in any way surprising, given the circumstances? Uh, As uh, the Free Press reported that he's the first UAW leader in the the union's 84-year history that has resigned in such Mm -hmm. disgrace mid-term, not serving out Mm -hmm. the rest of his term. So was, was this in any way surprising? You know, I think I think the timing, you know, how abruptly it happened on uh, on Wednesday night, yes, was. But but look, I think ever once it became clear that he was identified as this official who was alleged to have taken hundreds of thousands of dollars in you know in funds, uh, it, it became hard to see how it was sustainable. And remember, the union itself is facing enormous pressure to clean up its act. And so you've seen the acting UAW president. Rory Gamble make a number of moves. He, you know, he's instituted new policies, vowed reforms, and while no one has said this publicly, whether we and others have reported, uh, the you know what's the specter looming out here, of course, is the government's you know, takeover of the Teamsters about three decades ago, uh, then led by no, none other than the U.S. Attorney in New York, Rudy Giuliani. So, yeah, although the feds haven't talked about it, it's not clear if it will even happen, but. Clearly, everyone at the UAW is concerned about the possibility that if there is corruption that's not being addressed, the U.S. government could seek to, uh, you know, to, to appoint a receiver to oversee the, the operations of the union. And I think that's one of the reasons that remarkable moment when you read that Article 30 document that laid out all these charges against it. And the last page of that document were all of the union leaders signing their names to that uh, to that that document, it was a pretty powerful statement that a union that just hasn't seen this happen before, all the people who had worked with Gary Jones for years were willing to sign a document saying, yes, it's time to begin the process to remove him from office. 
Man, no matter what we talk about, Rudy Giuliani's name just keeps coming up this week. Exactly. It's all about Rudy. <laughs> Again, you're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer, in for Stephen Henderson today. And we are talking about the UAW, what is happening with uh, that union right now, especially as President Gary Jones resigns this week, suddenly amid a corruption probe. We're also talking about the impeachment proceedings and what's happening on Capitol Hill right now. And we want to hear from you, and we are going to do sort of a pick-your-topic right now. Call us with what you think about what's going on with the UAW and the auto automakers. We'd especially love to hear from you if you're a UAW member or have connections personally with the auto industry. You can also call us about the impeachment proceedings. What are your biggest takeaways and what do you think will happen next? Or you can also call us about the presidential race. In light of everything happening in Washington, D.C., we had a big debate this week, and I know that there are thoughts about what some of the candidates said and what they are saying in light of everything going on in Washington right now. The number on the phones is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. Again, you can talk about the UAW, impeachment, or the presidential race. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, David Shepardson, as you mentioned, while all this is happening with Gary Jones at the UAW, GM is suing Fiat Chrysler, saying that the FCA labor negotiators conspired with UAW leaders to cut a deal that would give Chrysler a competitive advantage over GM. Um, talk a little bit more about what's going on there and what that means for the relationship between domestic automakers, if you can call Fiat Chrysler a domestic automaker. Right, certainly it's a. It has a large U.S. presence. Technically, it's a Nevada, or sorry, a Netherlands incorporated company whose principal office is in London. So it's a very. It's one of those uh, <laughs> amalgams of companies all over the world. Yeah. So look, I think the this is going to be very rough for everybody. It's going to be painful and ugly. And remember, there's a lot of reasons why Fiat Chrysler is not going to settle, even if they. Even they thought they had done something wrong. And to be clear, they put out a very strong statement yesterday saying they believe they've done nothing wrong. So first remember that under the racketeering statutes, any damages that GM were able to prove, they could get three times that amount. So as one of the analysts pointed out yesterday, we're talking about, you know, theoretically six to fifteen billion dollars in damages that that GM could seek. And remember, if in fact, a court or a judge determined that, uh, that yes, G- GM was owed these, uh, these payments. Well, guess who else could get the money under basically the same theory? Ford Motor Company, which you know, had a similar labor agreement that GM did four years ago. So I, I think it's almost un- impossible to see this case settling anytime soon. And look, there has been bad blood between these companies before, uh, you know, back in the early 2000s after... Uh, a business deal gone wrong between GM and Fiat. GM had to pay Fiat $2 billion. You know, Sergio Marchionne, then the CEO of Fiat Chrysler, you know, tried to buy or tried to convince GM to merge with it and, you know, went very public with this idea the company should tie up. So, you know, it's, it's one of those unprecedented in how public and how, you know, angry the, the, the two companies are at one another. But, Look, these guys are very competitive. They're always looking for a, a you know, some sort of angle. At the end of the day, a, a settlement or, or this suit going to trial is probably years away. I think, you know, more likely it's about addressing GM's short-term interests. Right? I mean, there are ongoing labor talks with the UAW and FCA right now. GM doesn't want to see FCA get additional concessions that it didn't get at the bargaining table just a few weeks ago. And then there's the question of the merger with Peugeot. Like, is this Fiat says that they think this is a, a part of GM's efforts to try to kill that merger. Uh, GM says that's not true, but certainly that kind of uncertainty about this lawsuit could be enough to maybe convince Peugeot to, to back out. Although to be clear, this week they said they don't they don't plan to back out. Mm. Well, let's go back to the phones again. If you want to call us up, you can pick a, a topic right now. We've got three that you can call in on. First of all, what do you think about what's going on with the UAW and the automakers? Uh, and, and we'd love to hear from you if you are a member of the UAW, if you are someone who has connections with the auto industry, if you want to talk about what you're hearing about the impeachment proceedings or what you're seeing from the impeachment proceedings and what you think may be surprising, if anything, about these. Uh, or you can call us about the presidential 
race in light of everything happening in Washington, D.C. right now. Uh, I want to go to Jody in Detroit, who has a comment or question about impeachment. Jody, welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I appreciate it. Um, I consider myself fairly moderate, and but I feel like I've been really naive these past three years. Um, I thought that once our national security was impacted, that Republicans would come out. And then I remembered about um, the Supreme Court and Obama and how they blocked Merrick Garland, and I thought, this is a party that will do anything. There are no rules anymore, and we're at war. And like your guest said earlier, um, people are going more and more to the extreme, and this is why, because any moderate is punished. And mm. I, I, I can't tell you how heartbroken I am. It, it just hit me this morning. This is where our country's at. It, it, I'm sorry, it's just very sad to me. Thank you so much for the call, Jody. I really appreciate that. And again, if you want to join us on the phones, the number is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. You can also hashtag Detroit Today on Twitter. And uh, David Shepardson, Jody got to a point that I've been thinking about as well here, and, and that is the how the climate in Washington right now is affecting all this. I think it sort of goes without saying that um, before these proceedings, Washington was incredibly polarized to a historic degree. Um, Now, uh, this impeachment proceeding has not, let's say, helped that polarization. I'm curious, and this is totally speculative, so forgive me for that, but how would this play out, um, you know, even 10 years ago? I mean, the the, the fact that uh, we have been, maybe 10 years ago is a bad example, maybe 20 years ago before uh, before President Obama became president, uh, you know, the way that Congress has worked in the past, um, would there have been any hope? in the past for a really um, a proceeding that had the opportunity to really see some openness from the different parties to sit back, put politics aside for a little bit, and hear what witnesses had to say with some really honest questioning. Uh, do, you, do you think that that was ever sort of a possibility? Uh, and, and, you know, thinking about the Clinton impeachment, I'm sort of arguing with myself right now, that was pretty polarized, too. Right, and, and I was just going to make the same point, although much has changed in the last 20 years, to be certain, right? So I think, number one, you start from the premise that the parties, both sides, are oftentimes completely hypocritical, right? They're willing to, whether it's about judges or about the deficit or all about 100 different issues, right? Whoever's in power, there are many, many people in Washington, both sides, who are willing to simply flip their hats because, oh, their side is in charge. But... There has been a lot that's changed. And again, I think the Republicans would argue that look at the Clinton impeachment, right? People who now are taking positions in terms of whether it was appropriate, you know, to have a relationship with an intern who was 21 years old and blah, blah, blah. Would they make, would those Democrats be saying the same thing about a Republican? Now, to be, to be completely fair, in the last 20 years, with the advent of, you know, much more polarized conservative media you know, and between radio and TV, you know, there's definitely, and the, the shifting that President Trump has done in terms of the, the how the presidency is typically, you know, the, the, you know, typically operated. Between those two things, you have seen this this, this shift in, in sort of how the parties are behaving, how the Republicans are behaving. Uh, they would argue, and I hear this from Republicans in this town, that, hey, the Democrats never gave him a chance on day one. They said they wanted to start impeaching him. And so... I think part of it is what one of the reasons Trump has been so successful in holding the Republicans together is he has fed this idea that the Democrats have been trying to do this since day one and they never gave him a chance. And and because of that fact, you know, they've kind of they've kind of not focused on the, the key facts of what happened in July, preferring rather to just say this is about this broader argument that, you know, this, the process is unfair, it's really the witch hunt, you know, whatever invective that President Trump has used to denounce the whole thing. Because if you remember, I mean, think about the, just the shift in what the president said in his own words early on, right, when he said, I, I wanted to have an investigation, I wanted him to investigate, you know, and now people have just said on the Republican side, you know, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what the witnesses say. Um, and... So, I mean, and I'll never forget, famously during the campaign, what did President Trump say? He could walk down Fifth Avenue in New York, <laughs> shoot somebody, and it wouldn't, wouldn't matter. And I right. think, you know, that's 
probably true, you know, to, mm-hmm. for some of his supporters because he is so so popular with that with those supporters. Because you can bet, you can believe that if he did not enjoy the popularity he does today among Republicans he would not be getting the type of support he is mm. uh, today. Sure. Uh, you're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer, and for Stephen Henderson today, we're talking about the impeachment proceedings over the last couple of weeks, also about what's going on with the UAW and the uh, the president of that union stepping down this week amid an, a corruption probe. And we would like to hear from you on either impeachment on the UAW or on the presidential race, as that is uh, moving along this week. The number on the lines is 313 Again, that's 313-577-1019. And right now I want to go to John on the east side who has a comment that sort of pulls together the two topics that we're talking about today. John, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Thank you for including me on this discussion. Yeah, what would you like to say? There's no hearings to watch today. (laughs) You can listen to the show today and talk about it instead. (laughs) So, greed is, is pivotal on both of these the the greed of humanity is going to be the downfall, and it's just disgusting. And then this comes from a member of a labor union that's been warning my my labor brothers and sisters that you know the small shops are where it really happens because nobody's watching, and it's just incredible because our our body doesn't really watch our member our uh, um, officers either. And it's just why people have to get more money than they need is beyond me. Now, on the other side, in the 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 mess in Washington, it's just incredible that nobody's mentioned the uh, obstruction of justice more clearly because that's what's really going on here is obstructing justice. Well, that's that's very yeah. That's that's an interesting point, John, and that's something that uh, Democrats certainly were honing in on with the Mueller investigation uh, and and what happened with that. And now it seems like the uh, the questions about I mean, at least from me, from where I've been sitting, uh, David Shepardson, the uh, uh, questions about um, uh, obstruction of justice um, are not at front and center the same way that they were with uh, accusations about uh, the 2016 election in Russia. Is that a fair statement? Do you think, David? Yeah, I, I do, although I would point out, I mean, again, it's hard because these impeachment hearings, you know, so much has been packed in and it's hard to remember everything for the last, you know, few days. But I think one of the strongest moments the Democrats had was when President Trump took the, the step of tweeting, you know, tweeting criticism of one of the witnesses in the hearing. Mm-hmm. And uh, Democrats, you know, basically, you know, grabbed onto that as evidence of obstruction. Sure, witness tampering, witness. essentially. And then, and you saw a lot of Republicans say that was not right. It was one of the, one of the few moments during this hearing where hearings where you saw that Republicans break with the president. And then after that, you know, by and large, he, he's tamped down his at least tweeting about the witnesses during during the hearings. Right. Although with Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, you did see you know for the the White House the official White House Twitter handle attacking him during during the hearing. So. You know, again, I think you're going to see Republicans at times criticize the president's tactics. But uh, again, I again, absent absent something, you know, one of the witnesses that that has, again, close to the president, like, uh, you know, John Bolton or Rudy Giuliani, somebody, you know, you know, coming forward with, you know, with and make making something some public accusation. Mm. It's just hard to see how how this is going to shift Republican opinion. Right. You know, yeah. enough, to, enough to change things. So. Uh, John, on the east side, thank you so much for your call and your comment there. I want to go to Doug in Detroit. Doug, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Mr. Deere. Hello, I guess. Um, you know, the union, the UAW side of things, that's just so unfortunate that, uh, you know, leadership has lost its way. It happens so often in, in power and politics and all things, you know. People get into, into power and they lose their way, and that's unfortunate. But and this, this might sound a little tin hat, and I'll, I'll try to keep it brief and try to get <laughs> enough points in here to keep it from sounding tin hat. But sure, go ahead, Doug. As an old union guy from around Detroit, uh, with a fairly extensive labor history knowledge, I can say that, you know, what it is is a function of we the people have lost our way here, and this goes all the way up to the national level. Because... Um, you know, labor through labor history, what we've been doing is losing battles to this uh, these 
just call them profiteers, the, the ones who were behind the GOP, right? And so what we have now is this faction up there who, you know, claim they represent public interest, but it's not true, and we all know it. And so, as one caller mentioned earlier, you know, they'll do anything to stay in power. And so where we're at with this impeachment and, and the upcoming 20 election, uh, you know, we're being prevented access to our line of succession. We're being prevented a free and fair vote. And we all know the reasons for this, and we all know kind of what the, the future is going to be. So where they've really broken us and where they've taken us down is in the education department. And now this is where the labor history ties in. It used to be that the union people in this town were very strong citizens. And one of the first things we taught each other was citizenship in this country. And so what it comes down to is uh, 1776 was the guiding document. They built the Constitution based on uh, the guidance from 1776. So now, well, what are we got a Constitution usurped? The people are usurped, and it's perverted such as it is. What we have to do is go back to that guiding document and look at it and say, okay, they said equal, and they mm. said we have consent. So what we can do now is we can all demand access to our line of succession, mm. and we can alter it. That's yeah. also a key quoted word from phrase or, or word from 1776. We can alter at any time. Yeah, Doug. So Doug uh, there's a great big there's a great big space out here in the world for we the people to be speaking <laughs> up right now. Sure. We've got these two factions out there going back and forth and doing their thing, but we the people want our constitution to operate this way, we say. You yeah. Doug, I really appreciate your call. Thank you so much for the call and the comment. Uh, David Shepherdson, as I hear Doug and someone like John on the East Side talk about this from their perspective as union members and so forth, it makes me think in the context of all of this, uh, you know, unions uh, for a very long time, and especially in the 20th century, were sort of the uh, very powerful uh, uprising of, of everyday folks against uh, the, the forces of greed, against the forces of, um, you know, uh, of essentially corporations uh, not uh, valuing them the way that they felt like they should be valued. Uh, now in 2019, um, you know, Michigan is now a right to work state. Uh, we've had many conversations about the political power of unions as well as the bargaining power of unions. Uh, where do you think we are in terms of the power of unions in the United States? Are we in a new era where they're not playing the kind of role that they used to? That, that's certainly true. Remember, you know, of the union membership uh, nationwide, if you look at private sector membership, it's, I think, 7 or 8%. So, I mean, obviously the government sector, you know, there's still a lot of a lot of people are represented by unions. So one reason that unions have lost influence is just because they don't have the, the kind of membership. And Republicans have certainly made it a lot more difficult to organize new members. But within the Democratic Party, unions still have a lot of power to get their members out to vote. They're very influential in you know, key parts of the country. And, and look, the, the votes of union members and UAW workers specifically probably were the, what made the difference for Donald Trump in 2016. Mm -hmm. he, did, he got about a third of the vote of the UAW, you know, far higher than what Mitt Romney had gotten, say, in 2012. So... The votes of those union members and those issues, I mean, you talked about the debates earlier this week, you know, the Democrats are making a big play to organize labor, to the unions, to say, well, hey, we're going to make it more fair, more easier to organize new members, to get a, a fair contract. And look, there's a lot of, there's a lot of anger in the country about the, the economic divide and the, and the growing expanse between the top 1% and the, and, and people far below that. And the Democrats are trying to you know, make the argument that unions are a key part of how do you reset that 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 balance scale between corporations and workers. Mm -hmm. So I think that the, the role of unions is going to be a very key in the next election. Uh, and then and, and in the future of organized labor. Yeah, David Shepherdson, I appreciate that. I want to get one more phone call before we wrap up here. We only have a minute, but Chris in Shelby Township, I really wanted to get your point on before we have to break. So in 30 seconds, if you can, try to make uh, make, make the point that you'd like to make. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm Chris from Shelby Township. I'm a activist and a precinct delegate, and I'm a progressive in red, red Shelby Township. Mm -hmm. And my perspective is, um, the progressives 
we feel that if we take a step back to like Joe Biden to pre-Trump days, that we're we're recreating the situation that allowed Trump to happen. We see this as a unique opportunity to jump forward to make the country what we want it to be. Thank you. No, thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate that, especially that perspective from uh, Macomb County, uh, something, a place where I have a feeling we will see many people coming in and talking about in the next year or so. I want to say thank you to David Shepardson, reporter for Reuters based in Washington, D.C. David, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation today. Thanks, Jake. Really enjoyed it. Uh, Coming up, a conversation with local photographer about his new book, which details the humanitarian crisis at the Central Mediterranean Sea and his gallery opening that is coming up tonight. Kenny Karpov will join the show. Stay tuned. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer, in for Stephen Henderson today. Photographer Kenny Karpov has spent the last few years documenting the plight of migrants in the Mediterranean Sea and in Europe as they seek refuge from life-threatening situations in their home countries. He has a new exhibition opening tonight at M Contemporary Art in Ferndale from 6 to 9 p.m. You can see it until December 14th, and Kenny Karpov joins me right now. Kenny, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, thanks, Jake. So, um, you know, the exhibition, it's called Despite It All, We Never Learn. First, talk a little bit about uh, your book by the same name. Yeah, so it's a culmination of my four and a half years overseas, um, taking photographs, uh, recording testimonials. And when I came back, I figured I, you know, everyone kind of assumed, I guess, you know, I'm a photographer that I would do a book. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so I kind of literally like just flipped that over and like right. wrote this testimonial because I had over 200 stories mm-hmm. and a lot of the nonprofits, you know, I mean, like they would use these stories, but they would always kind of take, you know, like little cut lines out of it. And it was mostly the sort of like sensationalist, you know, sort of part of the story. And to me, you know, um, they're like, uh, I mean, like they're like background and obviously why they're fleeing and their onward journey and their hopes for the future. Like that really just goes overlooked. Right. So much. And so I wanted to focus on that for the book. Mm-hmm. And then for the exhibition, um, Melanie and I sat down for like months on end and just curated this thing down from like over a couple thousand pictures. Mm. Um, I mean, because I took I took like a bunch of film cameras. I like 30, 40 rolls of film every year. I shot through like 20 or so. And then obviously I'm shooting digital sure. um, for the nonprofits as well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah I've seen just... you juggle your cameras. We've gone on assignment before. And yeah, we got, have. Yeah. And and it's it's amazing to watch. I, I, what I think is amazing about the book, uh, when you showed it to me the first time I looked at it, I'm like, there's no photos in here. <laughs> this is a photoless book. And you did that on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really funny. One of my really close friends, I ended up, um, you know, telling her about the Kickstarter. She's like, Kenny, I'll totally support you. And then, you know, she put it on her face. Facebook and her Instagram and she's like oh you have to buy Kenny's new photo book and, and it was like a total like face palm it's like oh no, no I've told you it's <laughs> it's a nonfiction. there's no right. pictures it's um, you know there's no photo essays there's no essays mm-hmm. um but yeah so to get back to your point you know um I really just wanted to focus on you know their stories like you know from the heart of it and you know really really hopefully you know, have people adjust to, you know, what they're hearing. And, you know, like the stories are very graphic. Yes. And I get Mm -hmm. that. And, you know, like people are not going to be able to get through all the stories. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, like there's a lot of overlapping, you know, from story to story with people talking about, you know, the abuse they, you know, they endured, the poverty, the discrimination, the rape and the torture, um, you know, in their homeland or their onward journey, or obviously, you know, um, once they got into, Libya, which is like this complete like vacuum state for them. Right. Um, but the takeaway from the book, though, for me, and I wanted to do this on purpose, is that when you finish it or when you maybe get through 20 or 30 or maybe all 80 testimonials, you're, you know, you say to yourself, wow, this is 80 some people talking about almost the same thing. What has happened to them? Like, 
Mm. We cannot turn away on this. We need to take action. Like this needs to change. Right. And it, and it really does. Like, I mean, like this has been going on for five years. It's got 16,000 deaths now in, in five years. And, in, and it has not changed. Like there are still many, there, there are still many thousands of people making this perilous journey, you know, from all parts of Middle East and all parts of Africa only for a better life, only for freedom. Mm. And I think that's like the part that we don't understand. We don't, because like we live in our own little bubble here. And I feel because like, you know, we don't struggle or maybe we do here and there, but you know, we don't understand other people's struggles in other countries because it doesn't directly affect us. Sure. And, and we need to get out of that. Like we need to like raise our voices and talk about this. I mean, because like this is happening at our Southern border too. Sure. You know, and like, I think people just kind of remember that and, you know, kind of pushed us aside. I mean, obviously this is not in mainstream media anymore. Mm -hmm. It's not even like mainstream European media anymore. you know, like it's like here and there and maybe like the German or the French papers, but that's because, you know, like it's mainly German and French NGOs that are pushing a lot of this material out, which is fantastic. In in this day and age, it's so hard to uh, keep in mind everything that is going on in the world. Whether you know, as we are focusing so much right now on our own domestic issues with political uh, chaos in many ways, that uh, you know, uh, paying attention for a long period of time, it really takes the work of artists, of journalists, and so forth to force people's attention sort of back to these issues. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's on the journalist part and and the storyteller, as I mm-hmm. consider myself. I don't consider myself a journalist. Uh, per se, because I don't really like journalists um, <laughs> and I don't think like one. And I definitely don't uh, think like a sort of news photographer as well. Mm. I met a lot of them overseas and they were quite awful, actually, mm. how they interacted with the people that I um, that I was there to um, help. And so I've, I really feel like the humanity part needs to sort of like come back to like journalism. You know, like it can't just be all about like clickbait. Mm-hmm. It can't be, you know, just you know, that sort of like sensationalist, you know, part of the story or, you know, the photograph of like a guy, you know, like holding his lifeless child. Right. Yes. You know, but that is for shock value only. Yeah. And like this exhibition and the book is not for shock value at all. It's literally about bringing everything together and showing the humanity and like yeah. what these people did to have freedom. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but Kenny Karpov, thank you so much. Your ex- exhibition uh, is at tonight at M Contemporary Art in Ferndale from 6 to 9 p.m. Uh, and you can see it until December 14th. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks, Jake. Thanks a ton. This is WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Thanks for listening.